Serious fun. And we're back. We're it's back. Episode three, Dave Robinson. I'm excited. I have an idea because I guessed correctly last time. I you have an idea correctly. of what this is going to be about, and I'm already upset. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we didn't take I already the... have anxiety. I'm like experiencing. <laughs> You're rubbing your heart and everything. Do you need to do some breath work to start, bro? Probably. probably. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of story work around my profession. It turns out when people ask me my job description, I just say, I just, I just piss off my, my best friend, Dave, yeah, every accurate. Friday. Accurate. Well, let's welcome Mike, Mike the Schwartz to the show as well. Oh, hey there. What's up, Bubba? You got any? You got any fun sounds for us today, Mike? Man, do I ever? I don't know if I want to spoil them all. I'm I'm weaving them into the show to surprise both y'all. You think? Yeah. Well, here here's we got we got a couple. I mean, I'm waiting for this one because I think you'll really like this, Dave. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice, (laughs) not a game, not a game, not a game. game. We're talking about practice. Some classic AI right there. Oh yeah, what? these are gonna be good. Yeah. What? We're excited. Yeah, he's got the deck okay. ready. I'm ready. Clearly got the deck ready. <laughs> There's been some prep work here. The, you know what? We're we're getting better. <laughs> Can't go so, wrong. Episode three is called "It's Fair to Say," and last last week we cl- we teased that we were going to talk about what food, food, and the first. So I'm not going to do this to you every time. I'm not going to like in episode 28 be like, Tell, take me back to every step by step what we've said so far. But since it's only episode three, I'm sure you can handle it. Yep. What have we talked about so far? Talked about the nudge report and the nudge factor yeah. and native ads mm-hmm. and people uh, kindly shoving you in a particular direction, you and your attention. And then we talked about conspiracy realisms and how conspiracy theories and theorists might, might not be the correct technical term for what's actually going on that's that's very accurate so far thank you and the first four episodes i want to reiterate it, it's essential that i reiterate that this is all setting the table for the long-term trajectory of the show because i can't talk about everything i want to talk about even on this one topic totally. i just can only start to open the conversation so uh that's that's what this show is going to be about we're going to talk about food but in order to talk about food, we really have to lay some tracks so we can get there. So let's just go ahead and start with the opening clip. This is clip number one. This is simply to set the tone. If you could pack all of human history into one year, we've only been farming and eating grain since about yesterday, which is when we became shorter and fatter. We only started consuming processed vegetable oils about 10 minutes ago, which is when heart disease became our number one killer. So after examining all this human history, the experts came to the obvious conclusion. We need to eat a lot more of these. And so they convinced us that human health depends on foods we didn't eat for more than 99% of our entire existence. How did this happen? Ooh, Dave's already checking his pulse. (laughs) (laughs) How did this happen, Dave? Uh, Well, uh, I'm sure we'll get into this. And I would say follow the money. Mm. Follow the dollars. That's That's a good thing to keep in your back pocket for pretty much any issue. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. 
Do you uh, imagine that there's a little bit of nudging going on in how they made this happen? I imagine there'll be some nudging going on. Might be a little bit of nudging today. Yeah. And we'll you know, find out. Listen, like yesterday in the grand scheme of human development and evolution, if you know, a hundred years or one, it was one year, right? One year. One, one year, year ago, we started great. farming. All right. Fantastic. Well, one year. No, no, no. Yesterday mm-hmm, we started farming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very valuable. Very important to the development of civilization and and innovation and technology and humans and uh, coming together and domestication and cities and all those things. We're not knocking farming. We're not knocking agriculture. No. In any way, shape, or form. It's all about creating context, baby. Yes. So you can make informed decisions. This is all this is is a deconstruction. Yes. What we are knocking. I'm not even trying to make a statement. Right. I'm just trying to deconstruct. Let people decide for themselves. Totally fair. So. I wonder what was life life was like before all this industrialization, hunting and gathering and small communities and things of that nature. Clip number two. For thousands of years after its invention, farming and agriculture remained fundamentally the same. Most families lived off their own land, cultivating their own gardens and raising their own livestock. Typical family dinner, homemade bread, preserved vegetables from this year's harvest, freshly slaughtered beef from the farmer over yonder, and potatoes from the root cellar. But the modern world was on its way, and things began to develop at an unprecedented pace. Oh no! Oh no! How'd that make you feel, though? That first part, Dave. Very nice. Very nice. I saw you close yes. your eyes. Yeah, I was, I was, I was with it. You know, music. We went around. We went over that as well. Music played a, played a role in that. That was very calming. Yes, made me feel a little bit better. You know, this is the direction in which I like to head in our own little circles. You're actively heading this actively direction. Actively in. Uh, we're here. We're in. We're due north. We're already in the north. We were just talking about having a little ecosystem where I'm making broth. Y'all are making bread. Nate's making kimchi. Yep. We're getting eggs from our little chicken. Uh, chicken coop that we communi- collectively share. So we got eggs every week. These types of things are possible right now, even if you don't have a big, large farm. You can get a lot of this done if, totally. you're, if, if you're in the right place. Totally. And fortunately, we are in one of the best places to be able to do that, and that's Virginia. And we'll have a just a little sneak peek ahead. We're gonna actually going to have a Virginia farmer featured on the show, but he's going to come later. This is the, that's the fun part of the story. <laughs> Thank God. Okay. <laughs> there are options. Yes. So we have this industrial revolution that happens in the 1800s. And this is, I I think, the best place to start because in order to understand how food has gotten to where it is today, you need to understand the way that industry works. And there are lots of different kinds of industries, yes, that lay over the top of each other. And that's why this show is meant to just only start the conversation because I could do an entire episode or series on just sugar, mm-hmm. on just the sugar industry, mm-hmm. okay? So when you say food, you think about everything that goes into food. Individually, there's a lot of their own personal industries like corn, like soy, like whatever, okay? So we can't break them all down on this one show. We can only help you understand, try to deconstruct how industry has actually made an impact on food. So industrial practices are the key to understanding the current state of food. So the first thing that I want to examine a little bit is how vegetable oils were introduced into the marketplace 
and how they started infiltrating their way in. So uh, this is from an article on oozmu.com, and it's basically the hidden history of vegetable oil and how it came to be. Do you have any idea of the origin story of the first industrialized vegetable oils? It's waste byproduct for fuel or something along those lines. It's not entirely inaccurate. You're getting closer. In the 1800s, these two brother-in-laws came together. Their last names were Proctor and Gamble. And they made soaps and candles. And most of the times you had to make soaps and candles before this was invented out of animal fats. Okay? So they wanted to revolutionize the industry. Industrial thinking is where a lot of this starts. I want to revolutionize something that already exists. So they're like, oh, we want to make individualized sized soaps. So Procter & Gamble were the first two guys that were like, hey, we need to stop making soap in a wheel that looks like a huge wheel of cheese. We actually should make it in these smaller bars and give it to individuals so they can take it home instead of having to go to community places to get soap. Does this make sense so far? Yep. So they're just like trying to solve a problem, essentially. And they're trying to get their product into more places. So there's not anything inherently evil or wrong about wanting to solve a problem. We yeah, do it every day in our business. Innovation is not bad. Correct. And it, its main... Now, but so that's at least I want to make that statement because... The next part is like where we start to get into the ethics of it. So they wanted to revolutionize the industry. And so what they realized is that if they could replace the fats with something cheaper, a cheaper source of fat, they could actually save money, make more product, make more profit and grow faster. So they replaced it with coconut and palm oil. But then that was running in its course. They realized how oh, we could go cheaper. Okay. We can go cheaper and we can start using cottonseed oil. Now, cottonseed oil was considered a waste product of the cotton industry. And so these industrialized people were like, oh, we should take this waste product that has no inherent value and let's see if we can turn it into something of value. And this is going to be a running theme of industry and especially of food. Can we turn something that was a waste product into dollars? Cottonseed oil was known to be toxic when consumed by animals. It was known when they did it, and they did it anyway. They started making it into a cooking oil that became known as, anybody, you got a drum roll? Oh, Mike's not on his game. He's like, I got to buy my drum roll. I don't roll. have a fucking drum roll, dude. All right, I'm like, going to get you a drum I can, roll. I can play a fucking drum roll. I don't <laughs> have a drum roll. God damn. Like, yeah. If we had a drum roll, it would be, it's Crisco. Oh, Jesus mm. Christ. Boo. Yes. Yeah. So they turn this cottonseed oil into Crisco, essentially, and they market Crisco as a healthy alternative to animal fats. Now, you're like, now how on earth are they going to convince all these smart people that this is a better alternative to them than regular animal fats, which, like we learned in that little clip, was the whole, mostly the year of our whole compressed life, and it, we just started farming yesterday. So this is even closer to now than it was to yesterday. They hired what they known as influencers. Yeah, PR firms, lobbyists. Oh, they hired an advertising agency to push their product to convince people it was better. They started nudging them. Can't believe it's not butter. They hired influencers like nutritionists, grocers, restaurant owners, and they gave out sample foods cooked in Crisco on the street so people could do it. And so they started to market their product that they knew was toxic, and they said, well, we got to solve this problem. 
because eventually the jig is going to be up and they're going to start to realize that this isn't actually super great for your heart. So what they did, and this is in like the early 1900s, they made a $1.5 million donation to the American Heart Association <laughs> to convince people that saturated fats were the villain, which would make uh, Crisco from, made from unsaturated fat, fats the hero. So they constructed this fake narrative in order to make Crisco the hero so they could sell more of the product. Selling bullets and Band-Aids. Bullets and Band-Aids. Classic. So that's the story of essentially how it got introduced into the mainstream market. And that's just like the entry ramp that we're going to make into oils. Okay, But I just wanted to show you that the main takeaway is in industrialized thinking, a lot of it comes back to can I turn a waste product that has no value into something that makes money? Yeah. But it wasn't all bad. Uh, industrialization they were able to get out food to people that maybe you know in a time of drought or in a time of natural disaster you can have foods that are preserved and shipped out widespread in a way that like helps people so it's not necessarily all bad so in the 1900s they started canning soup canned soup became the first really mass-produced food and then in the 19 teens you saw the rise of things like hot dogs Hot dogs are processed from the pig bike product, a.k.a. waste. They took the waste of pigs and they turned it into a product called hot dogs. And they also started processing cheese. Dude named James L. Kraft decided to turn a byproduct into cheese, package it, and sell it. Now, the thing is, is that this all coincided into the 30s, which was the Great Depression. And cheap foods were in a super high demand during a Great Depression. Government cheese. Government cheese. And, and I want you to compare that to, say, now. It's always in times of, uh, you know, disaster, like a pandemic or a Great Depression, where industrialized players start producing, quote, unquote, I'm going to put air quotes here, solutions mm -hmm. in order to solve the problem skipping over the fact that oftentimes it's they're contributing to the the problem itself so i want you to keep in mind that all it's already known that during the 30s it's known that the impact of diet on body composition and health it's pretty well researched and well known and uh that takes us to clip number three in 1932 sir robert mccarrison's work in india showed that the great variation in physique between different indian races was a direct result of the difference between their diets. Those southern races which live principally on rice are poor in physique, as compared with the northern races which eat milk, fruit, vegetables, and meat. How do you get strapped, Dave? Do you eat, do you eat rice and not, legumes? Not alone, no. Not in any way, shape, or form. Fat, so protein, meat, animal products, dairy. And why do you do that? Vegetables and otherwise, because they're complete sources of protein and very nutritious. Have you ever experimented with not eating it? Yeah. Yeah. How'd that go? Um, not as well. Brain, <laughs> <laughs> brain fog. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can start there. Uh, brain fog, body comp issues, uh, gastrointestinal issues, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm making the argument that it was likely known by the people that had access to all of the information that this was established in the 30s. You had researchers that were studying people in India, like they said. 
Ones that ate meat, veg, uh, meat and fruit and natural products. Big, huge, strong Indian, probably some Palwani wrestlers. People that lived in the South, they ate all this, the, the foods of necessity. Small, frail, not very good. So, they know, they know, but the next part of the story is it's in the 40s. What happened in the late 30s, early 40s, Dave? Mega, uh, mega world, global yeah, event. World War, World War II. Cool. So this is another theme that I want to track, is that the rise of industrialized food coincided with wartime. They needed to produce non-perishable food on a massive scale for wartime. They build all this infrastructure to do it. Let's go to clip number four. This is where it started. The kind of industrialized food system that we have today really didn't start until after the Second World War. What happened during the Second World War was that there was an enormous effort to produce food for troops overseas and to get that food to where the troops needed it. This company operates a plant as complete and self-contained as a factory can be made. Look at the cans going through this line with the zip of machine gun bullets. That meant that we had to develop a transportation system, and that was when we developed all of the highways across America, the trucking systems, the refrigerated trucking systems. That was when New Yorkers were lucky enough to start eating foods from California. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Doesn't seem, it, seem, it doesn't seem such a big deal. It's not the worst thing in the world that New Yorkers get nice fresh fruits in the middle of the, the winter. Great. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Totally. I have very strongly uh, received that advantage in my life. I've loved it. I've taken advantage of it. I enjoy being able to get foods that are out of season where I live locally. I love it. Not knocking on it. I'm simply just letting you guys know that there was a lot of infrastructure that went into this. Yeah, you build factories to make bullets, and then you put a bunch of money into those types of things, and you get to make those very efficient. Uh, and then the war ends, and now what do we do with these factories? Now what do we do with the ramp-up of production that we had for all these canned, processed, preserved foods, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, and they use economy as a way to keep the threat of keeping the system going. Mm -hmm. Hey, if we do this, it's going to, you're going to bit your, it's actually going to hurt you. That is such a common thing. It's like, Hey, don't, don't regulate us. Don't think about us. Like, don't, we need to keep this going because if not, you're actually going to be the ones that lose out. Whereas, uh, as we've learned in our language, oftentimes we project the I onto the you, you're going to actually, be the one that hurts from all of this when really it's it's the companies themselves and the institutions that are set up to benefit from this infrastructure that are the ones that are set to lose the most. So this is, uh, again, just laying some tracks here. It's important to understand that once something gets going and they build a huge infrastructure to support it, they don't have a lot of vested interest into dismantling that. They want to have, they have a bigger vested interest in to keep it going and since we've already established that even in the 1800s, people are already thinking, how can we turn a waste product into something that turns into money? They're certainly not going to take something that makes money and try to turn it into something that doesn't make money. Yeah, especially when shareholders get involved. Yes. What? 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 <laughs> Turns out they want to make money too. What? So now the 
government and the private sector, these food processors, are working together. They are conspiring to a, to a larger end. Now, you can say that that larger end was uh, a really good cause. We had this war. We had to protect American citizens. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to having that debate. But what I'm getting at is they're working together, and they both have a vested interest into keeping this going. And there were some other small things that played into this economy-wise that we'll touch on in clip number five. Depression. Farmers were producing plenty of food, but no one could afford to buy it. So farmers started going out of business. Under the farm bill, Uncle Sam paid farmers not to grow so many crops. By keeping supply down, the bill kept prices steady for the farmers. But after World War II, things began to change. New farming chemicals led to bigger harvests, and new petroleum-fueled machines were created to keep up with the surge. Starvation was history, but the explosion of food into the marketplace overwhelmed the government's ability to manage supply and demand. In the 1970s, Secretary of Agriculture Earl Butts had a different idea. In a complete 180, the government abandoned small farmers in favor of large mega farms that could churn out as much food as possible. All we had to do was find someone to eat this avalanche of cheap, low-quality food. In just two generations, a nation racked by hunger ate its way into obesity, diabetes, and all sorts of other problems. Hmm. One thing I want to cue in on, though, there. Notice it said... Uh, the people ate their way there. Mm -hmm. Where does that, just by its structure, where does that put the responsibility? On the people. Mm. Yeah. This is also a running theme that will continue to show up around food is the projection of responsibility onto the individual as if, hey, like you're an adult, you should be able to handle this. You're the one that ate your way into all of uh, the obesity and the diabetes and all this stuff, Okay which is a fine this is this it's an, an argument it's partially accurate it's partially accurate until you consider clip 6 processed food is much more powerful uh, than we ever realized for decades we had the science to show that drugs of abuse can hijack the neural circuits to get us to come back for more and more we now have the science that show that you can make food hyperpalatable too, and that gets us to come back for more and more. Researchers at Princeton University have been studying how rats change their eating behavior if they're allowed to drink sugar water. The rats In a recent study, 43 cocaine-addicted laboratory rats were given the choice of cocaine or sugar water over a 15-day period. 40 out of the 43 chose the sugar. In another study, rats on a sugar water diet exhibited telltale signs of addiction, binging, craving, and withdrawal when the sugar was taken away. Food addiction is a real thing. It's not a metaphor. It's a biological fact. The studies show that your brain lights up with sugar just like it does with cocaine or heroin. In fact, sugar is eight times more addictive than cocaine. So if you start your baby early on addictive highly sugary foods, they're going to become addicted. Take a look at formula. 
certain formulas, especially lactose-free formulas, they substitute with sucrose. The food industry knows that the earlier they introduce these foods to people, to children, to infants, the more likely they will have branded them for the future. And every generation of kids born after 1980 has grown up surrounded by these highly addictive foods. My seafood, I get hungry. It's, I don't know what it is. I just, when I see it, I get hungry. My stomach's telling me I'm not really hungry. My mind's telling me, eat. That was from a documentary called Fed Up. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. The food industry knows very well that the chemicals and the way that they're processing the food is addictive. So now you have both the government and the private sector taking actions to grow the scale at which they're producing food. But like they said, they produce so much, they got to figure out who to, where to eat and who to, who to feed all this food to, okay? Knowing that it's addictive, knowing that it actually is addictive and, and choosing to engage in marketing tactics and nudging that will get the parent to buy their product and put their child as a lifetime customer. These are calculated. This is talked about in boardrooms. This is not secret. You can do case studies on this in graduate school, and I did very many of them, which is how I know to even look for stuff like this. So you got this huge surplus of food, and they, uh, you know, they, they run out of adults, and so now they got to move on to number seven. There are several studies that show that when children are watching television especially with food commercials, they're primed to eat more. One study had kids watching TV and they gave them a bowl of goldfish crackers to munch on while they were watching. And so the kids that watched TV while they showed also food commercials, they ate 45% more goldfish crackers compared to kids watching Holy the shit. TV program with non-food <laughs> commercials. Monkey see, monkey do. They almost ate one and a half times the amount that they would have normally eaten. Who knows this? The marketing companies know this. The, the food companies know this. The people that are nudging you know this. They all know this. Did you know this? No, not that study, no. Well, and Dave, Dave looks into this stuff, by the way, folks. He's not just flying in the dark. It's nice to be able to deliver some information that my boy Dave hasn't heard before. Yes. So they run out of adults, so what do they do? Went to the kids. They got to go to the kids. kids. Yeah. And what do we realize? They, when they play certain kind of commercials? It influences not only the kids to eat more, but also the parents to feed them more stuff and go buy more tricks and Lucky Charms. Num clip Which, number by eight. the way, is oh. healthier for you than ground beef. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Number eight. Remember, I went to a, a preschool once, and kids were sitting on little chairs, little red and white chairs that said Coca-Cola. Well, what do they think? Well, Coca-Cola's good. It's part of preschool. I should be drinking more Coca-Colas. Marketers want to start to target kids as early as they can. Um, studies show that children as young as two and three start to recognize brands. The problem is they don't see any commercials for bananas, strawberries, zucchini, and broccoli. It shapes the whole way they think about food, what they think food is not a lot of massive marketing campaigns for bananas huh dave <laughs> <laughs> oh, brutal 
Yeah. We need yeah. some Dave talk time here. How you I'm feeling just, over there? He's over got here. his arms <laughs> crossed. He's sitting like closed. I'm just like, this, this is so close. <gasps> up. Sad, sad panda over there. Yeah. He's just yeah. sitting over there. He's I mean, all, even like with, uh, like say, orange juice. 100% juice, not made from concentrate. Like yada, yada, right? It's, it's just, it's all bad. You know what, Mike? Oh, man, this might be a big ass. Can you play clip number 16 just because he mentioned that? Clip number 16. It's okay. No. <laughs> then we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. No, I can't. Okay. Please. Thank God. So well, you'll yeah, remember yeah, when it comes back around. Yeah. Okay. He yeah. said orange juice people. Yeah. So Dave's upset that kids are being nudged. Yep. He knows this intuitively. He knows this, but and, and, he, it's and listen, even upsetting that it's so systematic and on purpose. There was a, uh, when I've got two little sisters, right? My mom, bless her heart. Uh, fell for it all, you know, using Crisco and, and margarine. Can't believe it's not butter. It's better, yada, yada, right? Uh, we would go to the grocery store. We would nag and nag to be able to get the good, the good cereal, which was, you know, Lucky Charms or Tricks or otherwise. You know, if my mom bought a thing of Gushers, right? It was a, and then it was a, a race to the pantry because, you know, if... Uh, Fucking if fiending over yeah, there. If there's one box of Gushers... Whoever got there first would eat eight out of the ten, so you know the other the other siblings wouldn't be able to get there and you know take the take the goodies take the goods, yeah. take the good food you know so I mean it's it's just uh, I was able to overcome this early indoctrination to processed food and sugars and that's what it is but it was hard let's let's call it by name yeah it is indoctrination of very specific kind yep. on purpose deliberate and so we have a right to be upset about this not necessarily to judge any individual or that things are inherently evil let's start with the awareness piece uh i think we're doing a good job of creating the awareness because again i'm going to keep stacking on the layer cake here and it's going to be like damn this is going to be a lot to unpack over several shows and it is but just to start to get clear on how deep this goes how far food has infiltrated to find customers and to for their products go to number nine whoa the government got in the school lunch business after World War II. Uh, the school lunch business? 1946, President Harry Truman signed the National School Lunch Act after a huge number of military recruits were rejected because of malnutrition. On February 18th, I will present in detail an economic program to Congress reducing the growth in government spending to reduce unemployment. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan, looking to limit the role of government, cut $1.46 billion out of the child nutrition budget. It will propose budget cuts in virtually every department of government. Many schools got rid of their cooking equipment and turned to the food industry to make lunch cheap and simple. Kid-friendly favorites that could be heated and served. In 2006, 80% of all high schools operated under exclusive contracts with soda companies. 80%. And by 2012, more than half of all U.S. school districts served fast food. The food industry infiltration of the schools is deplorable. The schools have become 
dependent on the money, and it's a bargain with the devil. Some schools have become like a 7-Eleven with books. We are thrilled to be here with all of you as I sign the Healthy, Hungry, Free Kids Act, a bill that's vitally important to the health and welfare of our kids. In 2010, President Barack Obama signed the bill authorizing the USDA to come up with new standards for the federally funded school lunch program in an effort to make it healthier. This had the effect of possibly eliminating pizza from school. Well, Schwann Company in Minnesota is a $3 billion private company, which accounts for 70% of the pizza market in the U.S. school lunches. They could not have pizza eliminated from school. So their senator in Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar, wrote a letter to the Department of Agriculture to protect their frozen pizzas in school lunches. It had kind of a complicated process where the effect was to count a slice of pizza as a vegetable. It's common sense. It's not a vegetable. What's next? Are Twinkies going to be considered a vegetable? Rather than having a deliberative effort, we have special interests inserting these provisions into these bills, contrary to the public health. In terms of uh, the pizza issue, we proposed a set of uh, guidelines, and Congress uh, essentially suggested that they wanted a slightly different approach. Got him. Yep, you got me. And they got them. They're in the schools, dude. And not just the public schools. Yeah, that, that's another thing. A lot of people think that it's just the public schools that no, 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 no. I've been to a lot of private schools in my time to coach and other. They have they have nothing but high end food processed because stuff it's, it's, on, it's, on site. It's what's normal and it's what's regular. And how, that's how normal clip number 10. Other options that they had were this place called the student store. Hey, they have a daily special, like Monday is Papa John's Pizza, Tuesday is Chick-fil-A, Wednesday is Arby's, Thursday is Pizza Hut, and Friday is McDonald's. Oh, yeah. She probably couldn't tell you what homework she had to do on Friday. No, but she knew she was getting that Happy Meal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, I can weigh in on that. That, I, that brought back memory. Like, we had hot lunch every Wednesday. And, you know, keep in mind, that's Canada. Same thing. And it was like you got to order. It was like it was a special event at home. You'd get the hot lunch order and set it up for the whole next month. And it's like A&W... Uh, straight up Arby's, taco time, like all the bullshit. And that was like the excitement. So it's not exclusive to America. And the fact that you were excited is part of the point that I'm yeah. making is that that, that was constructed. Mm -hmm. It was constructed intentionally to embed it into the culture so you will not see, it will be hidden in plain sight, This the truth, which is they have known for a really long time that this food is poisonous. And they have been steadily, steadily increasing their market share, if for no other reason because it's their fiduciary responsibility to do so by law when you have shareholders of a company. That's just the truth. The incentives are not for them to shrink. They're, they're for them to grow. They're for them to, for, for them to grow. So big food infiltrates school lunches, and they start to shape the culture of what food is with kids. Why, Dave? 
to make money. And because they know they got them for life. Yeah. And you notice the way the guy said it earlier, so they'll be branded for life. What else do you brand? Sheep and cattle and livestock. Exactly. Fucking, fucking moo cows. And oftentimes, people that think on industrial scale, scale think of people as human resources. We have entire departments that manage human resources like they do manage other types of resources. So a lot of this is hidden in plain sight in the words, how deep it has been embedded in the culture that we say human resources and don't think about that that is comparing us to mechanical machines that aren't human. I feel like I need a break. <laughs> All right, <laughs> like, Mike's gonna, keep Mike, going. Mike, but, play a song. <laughs> play a song. We're going to give Dave a break. We can, we can definitely Because I, got, I got, uh, definitely poor, got more. Poor fucking guy here. Yeah, like, I know. We like, give, him, uh, give him a music He's sitting break. over there. Hang on. Hang on here. He's, like, it's, he's sitting there. He's... How about no? <laughs> how about no? How about how no? About, we keep going. No. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a little uh, a breather for Big Bad Dave. Let's. Uh, you want some? Ah, man. See, I don't want to play you something aggressive. I want to no, play you something, something nice. nice and I need to calm down. Nice and easy. Okay, here we go. Yeah, Nate, can you leave breathwork for me, real quick? Yeah, Nate. Nate's <laughs> this is better. Yo, Dave. You're fucking ten ply, bud. Dave, buddy, how you doing? A little better. Yeah. A little better. Did you get a chance to breathe? You able to continue? I took some deep breaths. Uh, a nice four, hey. seven, eight cadence. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to leave the room there yeah, for a I minute, bud. Hey, no, I was bringing the heat today, Dave. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm he bringing the heat you. today. He and did is, tell you. This is just a very. This is a very personal topic. It's, it's a topic of interest. So you know, it did something uh, that has impacted my family and my family's food culture. Yep. Um, it's something that everybody. That is a human being gets 
inundated with every time. Their food ecosystem is intentionally skewed to receive a particular result. And I assure you that result isn't for us to decentralize, get our own food supply, and live happily ever after. I promise you it's not that. So we've already established that, one, industries, the way that they think, they they want to turn waste into money. And they'll do it even if it means that that waste product is toxic to the people that they're selling it to. And in fact, they'll take it so far as to try to sell it as to as many people as possible that they will go all the way down from infant onward and try to control the way that people think about food in schools. I got a buddy who has worked for General Mills for 25 years, and he gets shipped products from them to try, and he doesn't try it. He takes it to the food bank because he knows says a lot. It does indeed. Clip number 11. Do you ever notice you can't tell the difference between cafeteria food, prison food, and hospital food? You ever notice that? Ugh. You ever notice that? God bless America, man. I wonder why, Dave. You want to take, take a stab? Uh, they're all related. They're all made by the same companies. Oh, yeah. They got hospitals, too. And they got prisons. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, enough to keep you. Here's the thing. Listen, at a very fundamental level, it's a calories in, calories out equation. Back in the, you know, let's call it the Great Depression. Like people didn't have enough food. They weren't ingesting enough calories. If you were malnourished, if you don't get enough calories in, right? So calories Ultimately, the kilojoule, the unit of energy, is the thing that keeps us alive. We have to eat calories, right? But ultimately, uh, some of those calorie choices make us sick, and others of those calorie choices make us better or well. And uh, there are many industries that rely on us remaining alive for long periods of time, but not necessarily become well, because then they stop making money. Yes, I agree with that entirely. What are what are some of the products that you think per, you know make people the most sick? I mean, you can lump just processed foods into that: sugar, uh, things like seed oils, things like um, artificial food colorings, artificial uh, uh, preservatives, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What's et cetera. one product that probably has all of those things in it? Lucky Charms. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. Clip number 12. About like 5% of SNAP funds, you know, like food stamps, which is meant for poor people to get healthy food. Soda. Was spent on soda. Sons of a... (laughs) How's that possible? Studies were bought and paid for by the food lobby. Big food spends more than 11 billion a year funding nutrition studies, influencing public policies, confusing doctors, and even us. That's $11 billion on just papers to support what they're doing. Just papers. So 5% of all food stamps, 5% of all food stamps are spent directly on soda. You know, I get secondhand embarrassment. Like I'm watching an episode of The Office when I go to the grocery store and mm. I look at people's food, like grocery carts. It happened the other day in Costco. I was, I was fucking embarrassed personally by food choices that were being made by other individuals. Yeah. And as an American who has lived outside of the U.S., man, 
that cares very deeply about both the country, the country's health and its image around the world. Uh, it's not a good look, dude. I mean, it's 70% of us are overweight. 45, 50% are actually obese. I lived in Mexico for a period of time and, you know, Coca-Cola's implant on, or uh, uh, influence on, you know, Hispanic Mexican culture is, is incredible. It's incredible. They don't call it soda. They call it cola. Mm. Mm-hmm. They don't call it fucking Pepsi. They call it cola. Yeah. So they're in. They're getting subsidized because a lot of the products that go into, say, soda, like corn, are subsidized by the government. And Sprayed with glyphosate. And, and as we learned earlier, some farmers originally were paid not to grow. So there's a lot of back and forth that goes on between governments and between big agriculture in general. Then they get made into products like soda, and then soda is cleaning up because it's super cheap. They spend $11 billion funding research that at least pushes off, and that's a theme here, is that the there's not enough conclusive evidence to suggest that the, what you're saying is accurate. Uh, that's like a classic playbook. But now they're getting subsidized in so many different ways. And for 5% of all food stamps, which uh, as taxpayers, you pay for food stamps for other people, which I'm happy to do in my taxes, I'm also not happy to know that 5% of that goes to soda, to something that is actually toxic to people and should come with a warning label similar to cigarettes. Um, But this isn't the only gambit that's out there. I found another great example of the industrial mindset being used in another area and uh i called this this is clip number 13 i called it big cheese women and girls especially became a little bit more health conscious and started drinking skim milk did you ever stop to think what happened to the fat in the milk when it became skim well one way to make use of milk fat is to turn it into cheese As the demand for low-fat milk increased over the years, the government found itself with a lot of cheese they didn't know what to do with. Instead of pushing the dairy industry to cut back on the production, Washington came up with this other idea. Why don't we help the industry sell more cheese by getting people to eat more cheese? Cheese, glorious cheese. Dairy management was created in 1995 to act as a marketing arm of the dairy industry. Financed by the farmers with oversight by the USDA, dairy management helped flood the marketplace with good-looking cheese. Now walk into the dairy aisle and the cheese section is... Although, just pause for a Look at this guy. Listen to this guy. Oh, the cheese. Oh, you just walk in. It's fucking bulging. It's so sensational. Here we go. Let's go cheese. Oh, it's bulging with cheese. Big cheese. You want to keep bulging the cheese? Yeah, keep bulging with cheese. Let's bulge that cheese. Back it up like that. For the record, I'm a cheese fan, but, you know. Yeah, but this is excessive. Another example... They could have kept it in the milk, but instead they took it out of the milk. Now it's a byproduct that they need to turn into money, so they turn it into cheese. And then they're like, well, we got so much cheese. We don't know what to do with all this cheese. So they hire a marketing firm. I'll let the clip play out. That's this guy. Tells us about, oh, it's bulging with cheese. My love for cheese. Site by the USDA, dairy management helped flood the marketplace with good-looking cheese. 
Now walk into the dairy aisle and the cheese section is bulging <laughs> with packages of Packaged. cheese, shredded, <laughs> bulging with packages, <laughs> diced, grated, yeah. made as simple as possible for adding to other foods. Ooh. Some of the things that dairy management did to encourage the consumption of cheese were so clever that the USDA actually bragged on them in its annual reports to Congress. In 2007, for example, it noted how the industry was able to sell 30 million more pounds by designing things like Pizza Hut's Cheesy Bites Pizza, Wendy's Dual Double Melt Sandwich Concept, and Burger King's Cheesy Angus Bacon Cheeseburger. So at the same time the Agriculture Department is promoting the consumption of cheese, its small unit charged with protecting consumers and fighting obesity puts out these little brochures that encourage people to eat less cheese. Bullets and Band-Aids. And the government is involved in this directly, the USDA. Yep. So the private companies and the industry, private companies, they create a marketing firm. The marketing firm works directly with the U.S. government, the USDA, in the form of the USDA, to create products for Pizza Hut and Burger King and all these fast food joints, which we haven't even gotten into fast food, and we will have to do that on a completely separate show because it just would be way too much to unpack. But my point is, is that they're working together to sell this byproduct, and this has just happened time and time and time and time again. So um, just go ahead and move into clip number 14. The problem is it's not just cheese. This conflict between public health and promoting agriculture plays out across the board. The USDA says to limit your sugar intake, yet has provided over $8 billion in subsidies for corn-based sweeteners since 1995. It's fair to say that the government is subsidizing the obesity epidemic inadvertently through its subsidies of corn, which gets turned into high fructose corn syrup and all those weird ingredients that you see in processed food, the maltodextrin, the xanthan gum, all those words you can't pronounce. So you have the government in this crazy schizophrenic situation where on the one hand, they're subsidizing precisely the foods that are making us sick, and then on the other, are now on the hook to set the standards for school lunch with our kids. You recognize that voice? Michael Pollan. Yeah. 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 And he was, Michael Pollan, he does a good job of trying to be neutral in his delivery. He said, Excellent. it's fair to say this. And that's why I chose that phrase. Because I think Michael Pollan's great. And I think that that was soft AF. Yeah. He knows damn well that that is what's causing it, but instead he chose, it's fair to say that. Like, I'm not saying it, but someone could say that, and it would be accurate. I don't know, man. I, I, fucking 10-ply, bud. Fucking 10-ply, bud. Come on, Michael Pollan. He's, I think a, he's, a, he's a good investigative journalist. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. I think he's phenomenal. And I think in that moment, I think it was a little soft. It was a little 10-ply. little 10-ply. <laughs> so just to show you how much power and influence these types of organizations and entities have. It's not just our government. It's not just our government. Um, so that's also why I want to have the conversation because it's not just the states. Please, number 15. In 2002, the World Health Organization put together a document known as TRS 916, Technical Report Series 916. And in that document, they say very specifically that sugar is a major if not the cause 
of chronic metabolic disease and obesity. The WHO is the division of the United Nations responsible for setting global health standards. Your favorite. Yeah, I the love, World love Health these Organization guys. wanted to really restrict sugar intake to a level that scientists recommended. They recommended no more than 10% of calories in a diet should come from sugar. Well, the sugar groups hit the roof over that one. So there was a very strong pushback in Washington by the industry. Senators Larry Craig and John Bro, a Republican and a Democrat, asked then Secretary of Health and Human Services, Tommy Thompson, to stop the report. The Bush administration is resisting a plan from the World Health Organization to fight obesity on an international scale. The administration says it is too tough on the food industry. Tommy Thompson actually took a jet to Geneva and basically told the World Health Organization that if they published this document, we would withhold the $406 million that we were going to pay them as our contribution to the WHO. In other words, we extorted the WHO to bury this document. The sugar recommendation was uh, deleted from most uh, World Health Organization reports going forward up to this very day. Lobbyists for the sugar industry recommended that 25% of calories in your daily diet should come from sugar, two and a half times the WHO recommendation. While food nutrition labels list government-recommended daily amounts of various nutrients, today, when you look on any food label, you will not find sugar listed with a percentage for the daily recommendation. question is whether or not our government has been complacent or even complicit with this food debacle? And the answer is absolutely. The sugar industry is extraordinarily powerful and there's a lot of money involved. We have a food industry that's feeding America mostly highly processed sugary foods that are killing us, that are making us fat and sick. This is the fundamental problem that nobody's talking about in society. Speak for yourself, buddy. I'm talking about it right now. That's right. She big got sugar's got big strings, dude. Tell me why. They pull some big strings because they're fucking loaded with money. Seriously. And they've, a lot of the congressmen and senators are all on the take over this because these companies are in big states like Georgia, for example. Coca-Cola is headquartered in Georgia. Uh, Coca-Cola's got Senator of Georgia's uh, number on speed dial, I assure you. They got a direct link to the senator of, of Georgia. So uh, not to belabor the point or anything, but I, I'm, I'm starting to make a pretty solid case that like, mm, you know, the government and the private entities, uh, the industrial companies don't necessarily have your, your best interest in mind. And, and in fact, they know that they're harming your health and they're not doing anything about it. Number 16. OJ clip. With, oh, OJ this, clip. This is fun. Yeah, exactly. Simply Orange Juice is facing a lawsuit claiming it contains toxic chemicals. The suit claims the juice is falsely labeled as all natural, but tests allegedly found so-called forever chemicals. So far, no response from Coca-Cola, which owns the brand. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Coca-Cola owns a water company. Do you know what it is? What the brand is? Dasani. 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 Or, yeah, Aquafina. Yeah. Or, I think Pepsi owns Aquafina, right? So they own Dasani. Do you know how Dasani became a product? Um, they used wastewater. They had to figure out where to put the wastewater. I forget what they were making. Coca-Cola. 
So the they were making Coke. Coca Cola. Yes. Went into Dasani. It is Dasani. <laughs> it's the wastewater that is made during the process of Coca Cola that they, you know, send through whatever other industrial processes that sanitize it, but definitely kill the water. I mean, it's not alive right. by any stretch of the imagination. They can put whatever they want to in there. They're putting things in other products that are killing you. Uh, and that are forever chem- chemicals. I have no reason to believe that that wouldn't end up in the water system. Coca-Cola. A lot of those environmental toxins, the vast majority of them, thousands and thousands and thousands of them are unregulated. And they can go in your uh, everyday home products and go in your cosmetic products. They go into your, your food products, et cetera, et cetera. Precisely. And there's another company, or there's another industry that I want to introduced for just a brief moment to kind of like compare what we're describing this, this knowledge and this deflection of knowledge play number 17 tobacco. junk food companies are acting very much like tobacco companies did 30 tobacco. and 40 years ago yep. so what happened dave with tobacco word started to get out that hey maybe this wasn't so good when back in the 50s 40s, and then how 50s, long did they 60s? push like 40 fucking years so even in the 90s, you had uh, Joe Cool, quote unquote, big tobacco. You <laughs> yeah. had quote unquote, big tobacco sitting in front of Congress yep. talking about whether or not cigarettes were addictive and harmful to your health. And they said, no, of course they aren't. Well, they didn't exactly say that. They said inconclusive evidence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We got uh, Altria here in, in, in the outskirts of Richmond, the big, big tobacco companies. So yeah, this is a uh, very... Close to home. So re- remind me again, what's the go-to line? Inconclusive evidence. Number 18. I know you've received a lot of money from the food industry in general. Was there evidence that said the ingestion of sugary beverages actually contributed to the obesity problem? Ingestion of all calories contributes to obesity problem. One question you might ask is whether sugary beverages contribute more so than do other calories. That's a very challenging question to ask. Well, let me ask you that. Do it- they? It's a good question. There's reasons to believe they might, but I don't think the evidence is quite clear. For and example, what, what would be the science behind that? Well, the ideal study might be requiring people to, uh, uh, excuse me, let me let me start again on that. Um, let me just get, get my thoughts together. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is this? Yeah. Wait for it. That's it. Wait for it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of soft talk there, Bob. A lot of soft talk, but but what was his what was his response? Yeah, it might. That's that's what the tobacco industry said. Yeah, it could, yeah. but there's not. It, it's hard to know. And if we if we could just set up the right study, that is virtually impossible to set up, or right. it's such a high standard and long time horizon that it's all it's doing is meant to kick the ball down the field. Yep. Okay. So you might say that the food industry is running the same playbook as the tobacco industry yep. because they saw that it worked. If you kick kick the ball down, if you can just delay, 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 you can keep selling your product without it too much intervention. And all you got to do is just keep kicking the ball as far as you, as far down the field as you can, as often as you can, until finally we have an intervention where cigarettes basically had to pay for anti-cigarette ads to collaborate with the cigarette ads that were actually working so well that it was costing them too much money to advertise. So they just said, listen, you stop running your anti-smoking campaigns, we'll stop advertising altogether. And they'll take the label that says that it's harmful. And they kept doing it. But it really, 
really seems so familiar to the tobacco industry's playbook. I wonder why. Number 19. In 1985, tobacco giant R.J. Reynolds bought Nabisco Foods. Tobacco pioneer Philip Morris bought General Foods and three years later, Kraft Foods, making them the largest food producer in North America. And leaving the business of food in the capable hands of the same corporations who helped addict us to tobacco. Using the same tactics they used to promote tobacco, food companies set about peddling the entire planet a diet of processed goods, loaded with chemicals and additives, masquerading as food. This new machine operates with specific targets in mind, like addicting consumers without them knowing it. Yeah, was that Morgan Freeman? Sounded, motherfucking right. Like, the, is that God? The voice of God is telling us to <laughs> Did you know that tobacco companies bought the largest food companies in the 80s? I did not know that. Dude. They're literally owned by tobacco companies, and I verified this myself. They're still owned by tobacco companies. It's literally the same people doing the same thing again. It's the ultimate pyramid scheme. They made cigarettes. They took it from tobacco and they started diluting it just like any good drug dealer does. They start, or bad drug dealer does, they start cutting their product with all these cheaper things and they did it with food. They're still doing it with food because health is bad for business. Clip yes. number 20. It's not like the... You know, the head of some soft drink company is like rubbing their hands, hoping, you know, wishing a childhood obesity epidemic. They have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders for quarterly profits. Produce, fruits and vegetables, are perishable. They go bad. I mean, they're not very profitable. There's no markup. They're not branded. I mean, the system is just set up to reward the most profitable foods. And unfortunately, profitability and health actually are at odds. Is that fucking Bill Gates? No. Okay. It the sounds same evolutionary like, drive damn, for eh? calorie-rich the foods oh, wait, actually, we, we want this. is now threatening our lives. The reason we should care about nutrition is because the global burden of disease study, that's the largest study of human risk factors for disease in history, found that the number one cause of death the United States was our diet. The number one cause of disability in the United States was our diet. What? A uh, total shocker. Even just the way the guy talks about it, he's like, well, look, that's just the system is it's, it's at odds. It's at <laughs> odds with your health. That's just that's the problem. It's, 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 these things are just at odds. <laughs> Well, drives me like, crazy. Like it's random, like it's totally random. Uh, we'll get into faux intellectualism on another show, but like there's there is a certain threshold in academia and intelli the intelligentsia where I think something happens to your brain. I was definitely on this path where you become a smart dumb motherfucker, where you just like are saying things that sound really good academically, but you're not hearing yourself talk. It's a Dunning Kruger effect, almost. And, yes. And so I'm going to 
wrap this serious portion up here in the last couple of clips. The message that I hope you take away from this is I want you to see awareness that this is happening. Two, because there's things that you can do that are in your control. We're getting into it in the fun side of things. But if that was true in the early, in the 1800s, the waste products that are turning into profit, and there's just countless examples, time and time and time and time and time again, of big industry trying to take waste and turn it into profit, it's really mm, optimistic to say the least, to say that that's not happening right now. That industry giants are not trying to cut corners, not giving a shit about your health, and that they they have your best interest in mind. That is fair to say, Bobby. Yeah, number 21. I'm going to prove it real quick. 175 stores. Whole Foods is the undisputed leader in organic foods and promotes locally grown. But the I-Team has found that much of Whole Foods organics are imported from China. Honestly, I would have never flipped it over to see that it was a product of China. But the USDA doesn't inspect imported foods. It certifies private inspectors to do the job. Whole Foods employs a company called Quality Assurance International. But the company confirms QAI has not certified any products in China. You There's got growing concern. Point made. Whole Foods, now owned by Amazon huge industrial company doing the same thing cutting corners using their economy of scale to cut corners and to fraud the public it's not new seed oils very bad causes oxidation and free radicals in the body go no it's good for your heart go to the good for your heart according to the american heart association dave (laughs) go to the whole foods hot bar section and look at Every fucking thing cooked in. Canola. Don't remind me of that. I love getting the lo mein and 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 no, it's so General funny. Sal's chicken from there. I know it's bad. Um, so I'm sure that this next product is uh, in no way related to the themes that we've already expressed. Number twenty-two. Totally sustainable bug burgers in ten minutes. Start by grabbing some air-dried bugs on Amazon. These grasshoppers cost me just £12 and provide me with all the protein I need for the week without destroying the planet. (laughs) Get the bugs into a bowl and break them down. Blend them into a powder. This is our protein base. Next, cook a handful of rice in simmering water. While that's cooking, add some seed oil to the bugs and stir. Then some flour, (laughs) sustainable is best. Then we add our bug mix to the rice. Give that a second to blend. Boom! Bug burgers! Use your hands to shake the patty. Then just fry until golden brown beautiful now cut some garnish and look at that vegan cheese garnish on top and don't forget the ketchup my man hit so many of the points and i got my crickets on amazon oh my god i'm gonna use seed oils to save the planet dave we're saving the planet we're saving the planet dude now you got a bug heart attack, bug, bug burgers, bug burger, bug stroke, bug, I mean, I bug a, fucking dementia. I was a, I was dementia. a granny, granny killer a couple of years ago, and now I'm uh, a planet killer. Okay, so you got bug burgers, which is basically giving you insects. Uh, not bas- It's giving you insects and, and nudging you into belief that this is a good idea. But they're also going to do it a different way. Uh, number 23. It looks and tastes like chicken, and it is chicken except for the fact that it was grown in huge steel vats. The company's sales pitch, you can keep eating real meat without giving it up or becoming vegetarian or vegan. Like I said, it's not a meat alternative. It's meat that's grown from real animal cells. So what we do is we take really high quality animal cells from, let's say, a cow or a pig or a chicken or a lobster, 
and we look for cells that can continue to grow outside the animal in a very robust and a healthy way. It took the company four years to get the green light from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Now, it's hoping to sell its products to restaurants by 2023 and to grocery stores by 2028. But first, it will need further rubber stamps from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. We think the initial pricing will be uh, premium, premium to organic. And we also expect the price of conventional meat to continue to grow up significantly. It keeps going up. Cultivated meat price comes down, and there's a sweet spot in the next five to ten years where we intersect, and we become more affordable than conventional meat. Cultivated meat could also reduce the environmental impact of livestock, which are responsible for around 15% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. The EU, along with Israel and... Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. So, one, they're blaming it on the cows instead of on the industrial practices that are causing the problem. It's not the cows. It's the industrial practices that are causing the problems. Cow farts. Correct. Or burps is actually more uh, more accurate. They do fart, but it's the burps that have the most methane, according to, to science. My point is, is that like in order to save energy, we're going to build an entire artificial ecosystem that is not natural whatsoever in order to support the natural in order to substitute for the natural processes this is another long running theme that you're going to hear me talk about over and over and over which is the attempt to replace your natural existence with any artificial means necessary and lab grown meat is a science the religions of science way to create what they call uh you know healthy nutritious and uh ethical meat just wait till we get to lab grown babies Oh man, we will. We absolutely will get to lab-grown babies, and I wonder if there will be a excess waste byproduct that they can turn into another product. And I didn't, I didn't clip this, but they actually use stem cells from unborn babies to make Korean, uh, like, like they, no, no, they use the flesh. I swear on my life, I've read this. They they use the flesh of the foreskin of circumcised babies, and they turn it into beauty products. <laughs> I swear on my life. Talk about excess waste. Um. And they're not going to stop there, Dave. They're so convinced that how smart they are, uh, and they're so uh, altruistic in their goal to save the earth and to save us. They have a brand new idea in order to save the planet. Number 24. You've heard of plant-based protein powder, but what if the next alternative was made out of plastic? There's new research that could make it a reality. All right, Stacey Delcat talked to a scientist about the process that could help fight hunger and pollution. Food shortages are worsening around the world, and the plastic pollution crisis continues to intensify. What if there was one solution to both of these problems? A Michigan scientist thinks there could be. What we're trying to do is to use microbes to take plastic and other inedible plant material and turn that into something that's nutritious. The idea is to turn components of plastic into protein and other nutrients like fats and sugars. Why? <laughs> this is like the planet, dude. What are, what are your thoughts, Dave? This is the dumbest <laughs> shit. They're going to turn plastic into protein. They're going to turn oh. plastic into protein, and it's going to be totally healthy, nutritious, and delicious. Sir. <sighs> You'll save a planet. <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> so food has been hijacked. It's been hijacked by industry. Industry is using industrial practices that are several hundred years old of turning excess uh, waste into money and convincing you every single time, uh, at least the collective entity, the collective you, the royal you, that it's in your best interest. Um, and at the same time, other things are happening that might suggest that they're not. So this is going to be a preview of the of the next show, but I'm going to put it in the serious side so we can wrap a little bow up on the serious side and get to some fun stuff. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Your last one, <laughs> 25. There are so many industries that make profits off of people being unhealthy that it's in their interest to have people continue to be unhealthy. And so that's why you don't see an enormous national effort to try to improve the quality of the American diet or people's food choices. And is that why you see health insurance companies buying stock in fast food companies? And that is exactly why you see health insurance companies buying stock in fast food companies. They're just covering their bets. Ooh. You mean health insurance companies are buying fast food companies? I wonder why. I wonder why. Maybe it's because the current state of the health is actually going to implode the healthcare system. Uh, I don't know, but it's certainly they're hedging their bets. They got it. They got their money down on fast food. And that's why this is going to take so long to untangle because there's just so many different layers and pieces that have just interwoven themselves into this one episode. You got money. You got all the different entities at mind, in mind, uh, the sugar, the corn, the whomever. Uh, and it's, you know, the odds are stacked against us. But the method, the, the message that I want to leave you here with is that there is a better way. There are alternatives. It's not all doom and gloom. And we're going to get to that in the fun side. But first... Mike Schwartz. Yeah, dude. I would like to thank Dave for his courage dude. in getting through this episode. He's been an hour breath. and a half of just breath Pure work, adrenaline. Just, uh, yeah. Just Jesus. straight. So, so give Dave an uplifting, uplifting song, and then we're going to get into the producer segment. Let's, say, let's oh. say thank you and remind people how this show works. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's take you there with an old one from an old buddy, Makeshift Innocence. We got uh, All You Need Is Love, and that seems appropriate <laughs> right now. Thank you, guys. You say, son, come and sit beside me. There's a story to be found in every melody. And there ain't nothing you can have if you will just believe in telling the truth. And as your mama always did the best I could. And if there's more that I could do, you know I would. It just seems that I seem to have lost my way. I tell you, Mama, no, you did the best you could. You tried to hold us up and show us good. And I believe with every ounce of my heart that you did. And even though I heard you cry at night, you were the one who taught me how to smile. And I can still hear the words that you would say. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love, love To get you through the day And I will tell you the truth There ain't nothing you can't do When you got love Inside your heart Oh dear listener 
thank you so much for sitting with us through that serious portion of the conversation. Thank you, Dave. <sighs> I do this for you guys. This, this is the value listeners. that we're here to create for you is to bring awareness. To- Whoa, I needed that. <laughs> I like that. I just got to rake it up. It's just too, it's just too hot, too heavy. This is the fun side of the show. At least I thought it was. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. <laughs> well, listen, we're producing value, and we would love, this is, again, a reminder that in episode five, you are going to have the opportunity to have your voice heard, have your name read out, and to show that you are getting so much value from what we're doing. Because, listen, this is not an easy show to produce. I was up till 3 a.m. last night getting all these ducks in a row. I saw that. Um, and, and putting all these clips together. This is a clip-heavy show, but like this is a hard show to produce because there's so much to talk about. There's so much information that it's so easy to get lost in the weeds, which is the value that I want to create for you and for Dave and for all the listeners out there. I want to start to deconstruct some of these issue, issues so you can be informed and you can educate other people and you can invite them. This is what I want to make sure that you... This is only an invitation. I don't know everything about everything. I'm simply trying to learn and to do better and invite people into conversations. So if you are getting value out of this, you can give it back to us in one of three ways. Dave, tell them what they are. Time, talent, and treasure. So if you are listening to this episode and you share it with a friend, you're donating your time. If you're doing some research and finding some good articles, don't just send me a top-end article. Just shoot me a link and be like, this is a great article. Read the article. Read the sources. Make sure that the information that you're sending me you feel is trusted and send it to me after that. Put in a little bit of your time to curate the information. Do your homework. So I can't be taking everybody's links and and doing homework on my own. I need the producers of this show to give their time, Mm -hmm. their time in order to bring some of this into our space. Once you're involved, you'll be able to send me a lot more information. It'll make putting these shows together uh, a lot easier for me, uh, for sure. Number two, you can give your talent. So we've uh, we we have done bopper flops in the past. We've done we've at, we've done some uh, uh, watch your mouth with Mark Englands. We've done some bits and some commercials. If you are desiring to have your talent on display, make us a jingle, make a funny clip. We'll definitely play it. We love 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 talent, and we will put it on display. And of course, our favorite way, especially in this world, we love the treasure, don't mm-hmm. we, Dave? We would love to see those donations start to come in because you vote with your dollars in the modern economy. Love that booty. We love the booty. (laughs) You can choose not to vote for these companies that have shown clearly that they don't have your best interest in mind by putting your money elsewhere. And you can also show that you love what we're doing by sending us some of your treasure. If you send us $25 or more, you will be considered an executive producer of the episode. And we will read out your name. We will read out your note. And we would love to hear from you. If you send us $10, you will be an, ex- an assistant executive producer of the show. And we will also read your name. And we will also read your note. And if you donate a dollar, if you give us a dollar, we will read your name and say thank you. The more dollars, the better. If we had everybody that listened to the show donating a dollar a show, that would be a really great start. If we had everybody donating ten dollars, that was getting value out, and maybe maybe a dollar is a lot of value for you, and that's and you're getting a lot of value, and that's a lot of value. We'd love to have it, and you can donate at Brooks Meadows on PayPal and at Brooks Meadows on 
Venmo. Where can they send you emails and clips and all that good stuff? Brooks at SeriousFun.io. I would love, love, love to hear from you and to send me some of these. So I told you that I wasn't going to be all doom and gloom. We have some alternative options, and I want to go ahead and get these clips off. This is from a place called Polyface Farms in Virginia. And this is about Joel. Do you know? Joel Salatin. Yeah, he's great. Dave knows him. Play it. 26. Polyface Farms in Virginia is a holdout from an almost bygone era. So we move them every day to a new spot to mimic the kind of migratory choreography of herbivores throughout history. It's old grazing techniques with very modern technology. This is a perfect blend of old and new. Let me get them moved here before they get discouraged. All right, come on, honey pots. Suck, hurt your way. Suck, come on, gal. Joel Salatin farms to produce meat. But the lives of these cows is in stark contrast to the fate of bovines in large industrial facilities. Industrial, mm-hmm. keyword. My bottom line take on the modern industrial orthodox food system is that it looks at at life as fundamentally mechanical rather than biological. We, as a culture, we simply ask, how can we grow a plant or an animal fatter, faster, bigger, cheaper? We don't ask how to increase its nutrition, its immunological function, uh, how how do we make an animal happier, okay? We have a centralized system that's primarily mechanical, and views food as inanimate protoplasm. And, and uh, we view food uh, completely different. We view food as fundamentally bio- biological. I think that is a huge distinction that it would be uh, potent to, to recognize and notice. He is actually talking about something that we've talked about uh, multiple times already in the show, and that's this idea of transhumanism that there is this life or this uh, thing to overcome. Biology is something to be overcome instead of nurtured and embraced. And he's totally accurate. Industry is a mechanical worldview. It is then built in the mechanics of how the world works as opposed to biology, ecosystem, and infrastructure. So we are starting to uh, nurture relationships with people that treat food with the same set of values. I've got the... uh etymology of industry pulled up oh that's a good economic activity concerned with the processing of raw materials and manufacture of goods in factories a particular form or branch of economic or commercial activity um and it comes from french and english there's also uh (laughs) of a disease or injury contracted or sustained in the course of employment Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Well, it's very mechanical. Yeah. I didn't hear the, see the word anything related to life in there. No. Um, he makes one good point. We can skip clip number two, uh, Polyface 2, which is 27. Let's go ahead and go to 28, and he's talking about uh, the processing of it. And I think he makes a very valuable point here that is one of the harder things to get the mainstream to address and to, to face. 28, Polyface 3. The processing 
we process right here on site on the farm as opposed to a centralized processing facility so that the same person who raised the chicken is also going to participate in its sacrifice. And, uh, and we think that that's pretty critical in maintaining what, spiritual and emotional balance. Nobody should kill animals every day. We're gonna kill animals, but we're gonna intersperse that with a lot of time devoted to the life of the same animal. Mm. In 2017, almost 9 billion chickens and 41 billion pounds of chicken products were produced for the US market. They were fed on 1.2 billion bushels of corn and more than 500 million bushels of soybeans. Both subsidized by the government. You know, there's an old Chinese saying that says, if you keep going the way you're going, you're gonna end up where you're headed. <laughs> and the current system is absolutely not sustainable over the long term. It takes uh, way too much energy. The average morsel of food is shipped 1,500 miles. The only reason that works is because energy is cheap. You can't continue to deplete the commons faster than they're being replenished over time. Water will run out, soil will run out, chemicals will run out, you know, something will get. Or we have a global pandemic that puts everything on hold and it destroys the entire system. And not only that, but, you know, uh, diesel prices have gone up 70%. Fertilizer prices have gone up over 300%. You know, a lot of the local farms that we have relationships with and access to uh, via neighbors or friends or farmers markets or otherwise are having terrible terrible times being profitable because of the the increase in these other raw materials yes and industry ind industry uh, banks on this as in a competitive advantage against small farmers that yep. they can withstand for longer yep. and it's the waiting game oftentimes that they win as opposed to the quality game but i think he also does an incredible job just dispelling this idea that farmers are uneducated or aren't able to like see the big picture you know they're just like bunch of bumpkins out on the farm no they are so connected to real life it's actually the people that spend the majority of their life in laboratories that are really disconnected from life they think they understand life because they're looking at it under a microscope no motherfucker people like number 29 know about real life i love cooking like massive <laughs> things of steak and bear. liver and uh with honey and a whole bunch of eggs you can't be having that every night Steak every night, yeah, really? twice a day, yeah. <laughs> but I don't have a lot of vegetables, a lot of what? fruit. Vegetables, Veggies. I always think, well, listen, I always think if you're a, in nature, you're a broccoli growing in the ground, how do you defend yourself? You haven't got claws, you haven't got, right. you know, you have all these things that don't want you to eat it, defense chemicals. <laughs> I think you may have just made your statement that's gonna get you canceled, Bear. Bear in mind, I was also vegan for a long time. Why? I wrote a book on how I thought it was great, but my health really tanked. Did it. And um, did, it. did it. And I certainly <laughs> couldn't do 25 pull-ups. <laughs> Most orthodox nutritionists would advocate eating five vegetables a day. I listen to that and it goes in while I go, I question it. It depends. <laughs> One word. It depends. Mm. Lentils. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible for you. I used, to have, I used to break wind all the time. I haven't broken wind in years now. Yeah. 
You say that like breaking wind's a bad thing. I don't think breaking wind is a great thing, no. I, don't th I think it's a sign your gut's not very happy. If you're, really? if you're farting all day, I don't, think, I don't think that's a happy place for your gut. Love it. And there's an, it depends to this. I agree with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this. Look at our teeth. We got two incisors. We don't have fucking fangs, right? We have, we're omnivores. We we're designed to grow up eating and uh, evolve to eating plants and animals and whatever was available to us, right? Uh, the problem with, with vegetables largely is, yeah, there's this hormetic response that could occur and that's the argument against eating vegetables. But if you pick something off of a vine, it dies. It begins the dying process. Right. And so now if we're shipping things 3000 miles across the country, if we're doing, you know, all these other things to have to, um, you know, and, and not only that, but they're uh, being grown in mineral depleted soils and otherwise then the risk, not necessarily risk, but the, the reward is much less when you get that uh, when you get that vegetable in your mouth a week and a half later right? versus growing it from your backyard. And also don't want to make, make it sound like I'm completely against all industrialized products or that I'm against producing food on the mass because what I am actually an advocate for is in a similar way to metabolic flexibility mm -hmm. is food flexibility. Mm -hmm. Being able to go to my farmer's market at the RVA big market, go holler at my dude Robert and get the meat that I need. But at the same time, I can pop over to a place and get some chips or get some veg or get something if I want to. You know, like I'm totally all for that. It's just more understanding the incentive that's driving these types of systems. Yes. Otherwise, you don't realize that you're being pushed in a particular direction without your consent. Um, but thankfully, we have some people out there doing God's work to keep them out of fast food. And it turns out even the homeless are ready to, to do God's work on our behalf. Let's go to number 30. And welcome back to the second half hour of The Factor Uncensored. It's been a notorious McDonald's on Main Street near downtown Houston. People nearby, residents, wanted to go but couldn't because of the aggressive homeless population and panhandlers who seemed to hold America's favorite fast food restaurant hostage. Things became so bad at the burger stop that some nicknamed it Crack Donald's and McStabby. We caught up with some city leaders who talked about the demise of the downtown McDonald's. McStabby. I got a funny story on that. We need to make a get. We need to make another uh, sketch or a skit on uh, McStabby and Crack Donald's. No, there's there's a place literally. It's like the Calgary, my hometown. It's the it's like the underground news called Crack Max. Shout out Crack Max. Check them out Twitter. Check them out, Facebook, Crack Max. And the, the reason being is that, you know, they, they could see everything from this, this one particular Max, right? It's like a fast food kind of thing, uh, similar to like a Sev. And they would just have homeless population all around, like congregated. And it would just like stop traffic. <laughs> Listen, I'm not necessarily for people being homeless, but if they're keeping people out of McDonald's, they're yeah. doing God's work as far as my, I'm mm, concerned. Exactly. Um, hey, uh, we got... We got a, we, it turns out, are you ready for this? We got another watch your mouth with Mark England. Oh, oh my God. Boy. Hit him, hit him with it. Watch your mouth, bitches. Watch your mouth, fool. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. All right. Here we go, boys. Hey, everybody. Mark England with Enlifted here. I'm driving down the highway heading to Louisville, Kentucky to be interviewed on Dr. Nathan Riley's 
podcast. He's a holistic OBGYN. He helps women have beautiful, magical, natural births. He's really cool. You know who's not cool? Bill Gates. He's the largest <laughs> private agricultural landowner in the United States, and he wants you to eat fake meat. It's called Beyond Meat. You've probably seen it in the grocery store. It's really weird looking. You know who else is really weird looking and not cool? Klaus Schwab in his, in his funky, dorky, weird, uh, uh, spooky le black leather robe. And he wants you to eat bugs. Think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Look it up. He wants you to eat the bugs <laughs> and you'll own nothing and be happy. It's called Build Back Better. He wants you to eat the bugs. Do not eat the bugs. He's not going to eat the bugs, so you shouldn't eat the bugs either. Mark England here, signing off, saying watch your mouth, as in what comes out of it and what goes in it. Boom. Dude. Watch your mouth, bitches. Yo, there's there's a, a thing I got like on the on the heels of Klaus Schwab. How many of you think of him every time he talks and you just think All right, zip it. All right, zip it. Oh my god, it's he's like, totally how about no Austin Powers? Yeah, it's okay. it's Doctor Evil, bitches. Yeah. You know? He totally has a Doctor Evil vibe. Uh he even he totally has a Doctor Evil vibe. Why didn't I never see that before? Do we have a bopper flop today? Oh, dude, do we ever? All right, we got bopper flop. We're getting all of our bits in here at the end, so we can close this close this show down. I got a couple of ISOs and stuff like that uh, to finish the show too. But uh, let's 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 play bopper flop. Well, we've also got like a, a new bit to intro the bopper flop. What? Ooh. Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, yeah. because you can't get sued unless it's like more than three seconds, right? So it's like if we were to put the if you put the doopy dop on there, yeah, ooh, you're in trouble. We're in big trouble. But. Mbop, that's a, that's totally fair game. That's we fair take play. it to the Ndoopy Dot. We've gone a step know, too far. We know how to push the boundaries here, boys. Let me let me pull Rebels. up our bopper flop. Um, you guys may may or may not notice we've got a live studio audience here. We do indeed. All right. Hello, 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 audience. Hello, yeah. What up? Yeah. Let's let's see. It's just gonna get bigger. And in honor of celebrating our live audience let's get into oh man here hang on hang on hang on i got the one i got the one i'm, I'm making an audible is that cool of course it's cool i get to call it you're the you're the producer. <laughs> fucking producer. You're the main main guy it was like here. i was trying yeah, to you ask can hit play anything right now yeah. 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 Hey, i'm trying guys, to make over. you inclusive guys it's inclusive okay like just give me validation uh, that i'm, I'm trying done. to be a team player yeah yeah, yeah. Right. i'm gonna put this one on and you guys are gonna love it Sounds boppy so far. No flops in here. What I gotta do to get around here. Acting out like I have no fear of losing you. But that's not true. I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. Keep my eyes peeled for signs of Yo, 
rapper bop in here. This is this is a big bop. Bop. Here we go. Absolute we can bop. Let that, we can let that play down, right? <sighs> what do you think? I mean, say no more, right? The one, the only. Bop, yeah, voted officially as a bop. Official and you, bop. you know who it is? Uh, yeah. Of course. And uh, who could it got, be? Who is it? Who, who could that be? Oh, it's my wifey. <laughs> it's my wifey, oh, Hallie. The, the one and only, Hallie Meadows. Kicking that, it. That was called After All Yeah. by Hallie Meadows. That it's going to be off of her first album that will be coming soon. Produced <laughs> by Music Fit Records, <laughs> the great Michael Schwartz. <laughs> so we're producing awesome podcasts. We're producing awesome music. This is a true value for value community. So... Awesome job. Um, I got a couple of funny little jammers to finish off. Let's go 32. Here we go. You don't put bacon in your body. Why not? The worst thing you could put in your body. I love hog. It's a fried fat. <laughs> I eat everything on the pig except the squeal. Huh. <laughs> Let's <Oink>. go, Terrell. <laughs> that was Shannon Sharp. Oh, Shannon Sharp. God. Shannon yeah, Sharp right, versus, right, right. Uh, uh, what's the other white guy's name? Uh, yeah. yeah. Skip. Skip Bayless. Bayless. Skip, Skip. Yeah. yeah. I got I got a uh I got a couple of wait, ISOs wait, here. Can you run that back? Yeah. Oh shit. No, hang on, hang on. Sorry, right. if you can't. <laughs> he can't. I, no, sure I can't. I can't. I can. I, I, can. I absolutely can. It's just, you just gotta it go take, find it. I might have to Don't worry about it. it. We I, I got something coming that yeah. you'll you'll we got, appreciate. We got a better. We got a better. Right. I got I want you to better. pick your favorite ISO, Dave. All right. All right. We're gonna keep your favorite ISO. Let's go with 33. 33 coming up. Boom, bug burgers. God damn it. <laughs> or one through four? Yeah. Okay, here we go. I eat everything on the pig except the squeal. <laughs> yeah. I like okay, that. Okay, okay. So then, so far so far you, you got uh which one do you like better? Uh, by far Shannon Sharp. All right, all right. I think I think I might have I think I might have topped it on the last one. Okay, here we go. Cheese glorious cheese. <laughs> <laughs> cheese glorious. One more time, one more time, one more time. One more time. Cheese, glorious cheese. That's a good one. <laughs> it's the music, man. Send us like, out into our weekend. Jesus, cheese, right? glorious cheese. cheese. Well, Dave, I'm sorry to do it to you again, but I'm not. I'm happy that we did. We're having serious fun. These are some serious things we got to talk about. They are. And uh, we want to talk about them in a way that is fun. Maybe this one wasn't so fun for Dave. It might have been a bit triggering for you as well. I but there are it, options. Boys. I felt it. You have the power to make different decisions. And, and vote with your dollars. And I'll remind you again, you can vote for this show with your dollars. It would be so appreciated. Mm-hmm. Brooks at SeriousFun.io, at Brooks Meadows, on both Venmo and PayPal. Send me a donation. Send me your name. Send me a note. I'm going to read it. I'm going to have Dave read the ones that I don't like so much. <laughs> that way I don't have to hear myself say it. But we'll read it. Give Dave all the bullshit. We'll give the value week after week after week. These shows are not easy to produce. So... This is a lot of time, energy, and effort that's going into this because I care. Because we want you to have a serious, fun time and make better decisions. Live a happy, healthy life. So any parting words for us, Mr. Mike the Schwartz? Yeah, man. I got uh, I got one or two things. I'd like to first start with this one, though. We didn't get a chance to play this, but this is... Uh, I felt we had a good game out there, guys. Four lines. Four lines. Four lines banging. You know? What does that even mean? Four lines. We got to have four lines banging. Banging bodies all night long, uh, ox out. <laughs> simple. Keep it simple, boys. I felt I felt we did we did really good at that today, and uh, it was sub a hard some out, dude. Hard sub game. Out. Playing two ways, and uh, ten out of ten Biebers for me. Beautiful, Dave. Any final word? Oh, you got? Do you have one more thing to 
put, put on that little producer deck of yours. You said you had two things. Uh, this is kind of two. Uh, I mean, I mean, listen, we talking about practice, <laughs> not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. So one week at a time, man. My guy, man. Dave, any final words? <laughs> Grateful for all of y'all, listeners, producers, and otherwise. This is. Incredibly stressful. Um, <laughs> like Please I'm not even kidding, time dude. Treasure. I'm really not even kidding here. This, yeah. this is this is tough for your boy, but it's good. We're learning a lot, and and that's what we're going to keep going, and that's why we will. So thank that's you right. very much. This has been Brooks Meadows, Dave Robinson, and Mike Schwartz with the Serious Fun Podcast. Checking out episode three. Ah, oh, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. It's fair to say that they're fucking with us. <laughs> <laughs>